Happy holidays and welcome to the 8th edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. I'm your host, Barry White. No, just kidding. I'm the traffic guy, Jason Looper. I'm the overnight producer, Joseph Peters. Jason, you sound fantastic today. Oh, thank you very much. So I could go really deep now with my voice because I am fighting a little bit of a throat thing that I got from my uh, my little girl, Jolene. I don't know. Fighting the throat thing that makes you sound like the best radio host of all time. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, thank you very much. And thanks to your wife for alerting us to this funny story. You know, it's about time that she actually contributed to the program. And we appreciate that very much. Uh, police in the Canadian province of Prince Edward Island are warning drivers to stop being so Canadian, or in other words, so nice to each other, after a number of accidents were caused by drivers letting the other driver go in ahead of them. Uh, Charlottetown Police Chief Paul Smith says there have been at least two accidents on the city's busiest University Avenue in the uh, past week caused by one driver stopping and waving another one in. The chief said, quote, a good Samaritan gesture can sometimes have devastating consequences when you're looking at T-bone accidents, unquote. Yikes. Chief Smith said people are just trying to be courteous to others, being very Canadian uh, during the holiday season, but that can lead to problems for all, he says. My wife is a retired bus driver, and her biggest pet peeve is people who are too nice on the road is constantly a, but I have the right-of-way thing, or you had the right-of-way, what are you doing? So this right up her alley. And, and this story comes from a neighboring police department in Prince Edward Island. The Kensington Police Services say they are threatening to impose the Nickelback treatment on anyone who drinks and drives. They shared a social media post promising to force any drunk drivers at arrest to listen to the Alberta band Nickelback while in the backseat of the cruiser. Quote, we figure if you're foolish enough to get behind the wheel after drinking, then a little Chad Kroger and the boys is the perfect fit for you. Unquote. Uh, That was Constable Rob Hartland who said that. There were two kinds of controversy in the story among the commenters, those who were offended by the police by making a joke out of drunk driving, and then Nickelback fans annoyed that the band was the butt of the joke. I I mean, if if you've met the hardcore Nickelback fans, right? No. They they don't understand that their their favorite band is the butt of a joke. They just don't get it. They just think the band is great, and that's the end of the day. And I kind of am on that side of the fence, Jason. I want oh. to listen to some Nickelback in my day. Okay. <laughs> Duly noted. Uh, in a follow-up to the Driving You Crazy podcast, uh, episode number five, when, remember we talked about how bad the recommendation was from the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration to just have a couple of cups of co- uh, coffee if you get sleepy behind the wheel, right? Remember that? If you forgot that episode, it's a Bad recommendation. Yes, it is bad. Actually, you can just click here on the podcast a couple down from episode 8 to episode 5 and listen to that one. Well, Sleep Junkie, the other day, sent me an email, and Sleep Junkie says they analyzed six years of fatal driving accidents to illustrate the deadly effects of driving while drowsy, and that report shows that U.S. Highway 285 is the most deadly highway in terms of sleep-related fatalities with nearly one in five traffic fatalities due to drowsy driving. Now, part of Highway 285 runs through Colorado. It goes from the southern part of the state uh, all the way up through uh, the San Luis Valley and then comes on, goes all the way through South Park. If you're familiar with South Park, Highway 285 is the highway through South Park. Uh, the study also claims that Colorado is the third sleepiest state with over one in 20 traffic fatalities due to fatigued driving. Uh, The part that's surprising to me is that they say most of the sleepy driving slip-ups happen in the morning from 6 a.m. to 7 a.m. I I would have thought it would have been overnight. They say that an estimated 1 in 25 drivers report dozing off behind the wheel. If you count 
both of us, we have done that too. That is correct. That uh, is absolutely correct. One in 25 yeah. seems like that's a lot of people who aren't being completely honest. Probably. Yeah. I think that's a, a problem with a lot of these surveys is that people aren't completely honest with all of them. Uh, do you have any theories on why 6 to 7 a.m. would be the most sleepy driving slip-ups. My first thought was just straight-up volume, is that there's more drivers on the road. you got a lot of people waking up at 4 in the morning to get ready for their commute at 6. and just That or bed. people who just stay up too late and they only get maybe five hours of sleep a night. Right. Um, that's probably more like it. It's yeah. where they're just trying to burn the candle on both ends and they're just staying up too late. But your people who are rushing to work, they probably think they have the commute memorized so they don't have to pay too much attention to it. That yeah. or they haven't stopped by their uh, local barista. And finish that cup of coffee that takes them about a half an hour to really get cranked up. Exactly. That too. Uh, If you're wondering what Sleep Junkie is all about, just like I did when I first received the email from them, this is how they describe their mission on their website. Our mission is to educate, raise awareness, and let people know that sleep is not a criminal waste of time, as Thomas Edison said, but a life-saving, life-giving, life-changing activity that can make you fitter, stronger, smarter, happier, and healthier. Well, to that I say amen. Uh, I do love sleep, and I'm sure as you do. Yes. Neither of correct. us probably get enough sleep. That is all. also correct. Yes. I'll give you an amen, Jason. Thank you. Uh, one major component of my job, Joseph, is using the DOT cameras, right? And I show those to show the traffic conditions and crashes uh, on TV and on social media. Right. It, it let's really the, the viewers decide how they want to get to work in the morning. The camera stream comes from the CDOT Operations Center out in Golden. And they do have the authority, if they want, to turn off any of the camera feeds to us. And they rarely do it. When they do, it's mostly during, let's say, a presidential visit, a motorcade movement, that sort of thing. They want to do it for mostly security reasons. Well, I was reading this story from Las Vegas. It centered around the amount of times the Nevada DOT turns off their camera feed to the local media there during serious crashes. Now, you came from Las Vegas before Denver. Uh, do you know Ken Smith? He's the traffic morning traffic guy from Fox 5. I don't know him personally. I've know of him through other people basically he's been there for a while though have you experienced this at the tv station you worked at did you experience them turning off the cameras yeah and it's a real pain to be honest with you i mean for for us part of being able to analyze a crash and like part of your job is speculating on how the crash happened and in order to do that you need to have a visual so you can see where the damage is on the vehicle or what lanes are blocked off there's a big difference between looking at a map of traffic flow and seeing some red lines and actually seeing the physical crash or seeing the sea of headlights and taillights when you have that real backup well yeah you know what and i was thinking the exact same thing and well ken called for a meeting with the nevada dot to raise his concerns that the cameras were going dark more often than usual and more often than what he liked. So Ken's argument was that the traffic cameras were no different than footage shot by a TV crew or by people just using their smartphones. So the cameras should stay on all the time so we could see them and even gather information as you were talking about because I do that all the time. Even if I wouldn't show it, I'm still gathering information and I can relay that information to the viewers. Now, some people from the Nevada DOT and the Nevada State Patrol had an informal luncheon to talk about that issue. Now, Major Tom Jackson of the Nevada Highway Patrol told the television radio newspaper people that were there uh, that the camera feeds are usually suppressed after high-speed accidents that results in death or injuries that are too graphic to show on TV or online. Uh, really? So a couple of people at the State Patrol or DOT are determining what the public can and cannot see i have a big problem with that in a big way in the article i was reading that the reporter the reporter 
wrote this line. There are some images that just can't or shouldn't be seen by the general public. What? Really? That's from a reporter saying that? Shouldn't the public decide on what you can see and what you can't see? I mean, this is the classic newsroom debate, right, of what can be shown on TV and what can And it's everybody trying to play God or trying to play Big Brother and trying to decide what's appropriate for innocent eyes and what's not appropriate for innocent eyes. And as you made the point very succinctly, that's up to people to decide for themselves. They cannot click on it if they don't want to. What this specific incident got to was straight-up abuse of the system because they're turning off the DOT cameras for, at any really at any whim when they're not shutting down roads they're not doing anything serious and you use the dot cameras i've used the dot cameras anybody who's had like a, just a stationary camera that's pointing at a couple of roads from a decent angle knows that you can't see bodies you can't see anything physical from those dot cameras all you're seeing is a rough shape of what's happening with those cars so the argument that oh well these are images that aren't appropriate for a daytime audience as you said that's not for you to decide let the newsrooms decide that as individuals yep. and b it's just frankly not true in 85% of situations. This is somebody who's overreacting because they want to exert their control over a situation because, you know, power goes to people's heads yep. and that's what happens. But it's scary and it's a very slippery slope. And it, I, I mean, if you think that whoever your presidential candidate du jour was uh, fudging information during the campaign, this is going to give light to that. Because if one entity gets to decide what goes out over the airwaves and what doesn't, you can bet that there's going to be a little bias in what that entity shows. Yeah, and I wanted to bring that up too, because these cameras, even though some of them can be somewhat clear, you can't see what you might think you can see with these cameras. You just can't. They're just not that clear. Right. It's just not. It's not like our camera on the helicopter is way more clear. The camera on your cell phone is way more clear yep. than any of these DOT cameras. Well, Indigo, just one step deeper, and I apologize to anybody who thinks this is too inside baseball, this gives a real advantage to the television stations in that market that have a helicopter of their own. The stations that have a helicopter can go over those scenes and decide whether or not they want to show the images. And the stations that do not have a helicopter, they're screwed. Well, that's exactly right because the helicopter from that station can go over the DOT and the state patrol can't stop them from showing those images. Right. So why did they think that they can stop it when obviously the TV stations thinks it's okay to show and obviously they're not going to show a dead body. Our management here at Channel 7 has guidelines to that issue. They prefer not to show people who have died in a crash but they also want to have that decision rest on their shoulders not some other entity i mean we had an incident that i mean and i tell this story laughing sometimes that we were on air tracker and you were live and we're all trying to figure out what this car ran into and out of nowhere jason luber says oh that's a deer and we got off the shot because nobody wants to see a dead deer in the morning like we understand that you don't need to gratuitously show the shot of the dead deer but for news purposes you do need to see that there's lanes blocked you do need to see that there was a car involved in the accident that hasn't been towed away from the scene and you also need to know that it was a deer and not a God forbid, a person, right. or or uh, it was just another vehicle involved, or what it was. Absolutely. And so that you know that said, many of the the Spanish language broadcasters will show that graphic video. I, I've seen it. Um, they'll show more than the local TV stations or even the national networks will show. I've seen news shows on Univision where they show dead people. I mean, they actually show dead people on the Univision on their news programs, and they show other graphic scenes that that we wouldn't show, but. That's their decision. That That's their decision to do that or not do it and whatever they're comfortable with. Now, the general manager of the DOT operations there in Nevada, her name is Tina Quigley. 
And she says in the story that the cameras are funded by Nevada taxpayers and extra precautions must be taken when releasing footage. So right there, she is admitting that she doesn't own the cameras, but she is still making the decision about what the taxpayers paid for can or cannot see. She's making your point about the Big Brother determining what we can and can't see. Yep. I mean, it's a PC culture, right? That's that's the buzzword that goes around now is that we're too politically correct. Well, we're too politically correct to show some of these graphic scenes on television. And she did admit that sometimes they have probably suppressed the cameras more aggressively than they needed to and that sometimes they have forgotten to unsuppress them, turn them back on. So the Nevada DOT agreed to create better protocols, they say, uh, for from Ken Smith because he was bringing up this issue. Um, to basically put the cameras back on a little bit quicker and also work to improve the communication with the local law enforcement when the footage, they say, would be publicly viewed again. So for me, that wouldn't be a win. That would be a loss, basically, and I would still raise the huge stink about it if that was happening here. Well, and not knowing Ken Smith personally, but knowing that Fox, as we mentioned, is one of the stations in that market that does not have a helicopter, I doubt this is the last time that he brings this up, and he should continue to bring it up. Well, and you know there's a Facebook traffic reporters group around the country? Uh, yes. And this story was posted there. Uh, and unfortunately, Jason, you're kind of on an island in this situation because a lot of the reporters agreed with turning off the cameras in these situations. Uh, Mike Kristoff says that in Wisconsin, the DOT there keeps the cameras on the incident, but they do not distribute their video to the media until they know that injuries have been dealt with and authorities have secured the scene. Mike thinks that's a responsible move as long as they pass along lane closure information. He says he doesn't need to see everything for every second of an incident. Uh, And then we go on to Derek Scudder. He says once he can establish where a crash is and determine how many and which lanes are blocked, the only thing I need is when this thing clears. Alabama DOT generally does a pretty good job of keeping cameras up, although they don't often zoom in for long periods of time. Okay by me. And then Michael Weinstein says, the reason I have always heard for blocking feeds, and he agrees with it, is that God forbid there was a serious or fatal accident and somebody watching the TV sees a relative or a friend or a child dead at the scene before the authorities have contacted the family. That cannot happen ever, not even once. That The likelihood of that ever happening, of you, first of all, being able to identify a family member, let's say, God forbid, my wife was out on the highway and died in a, in a car crash. And even for me to identify, to see that it was my, my wife's car, to see it was her on these camera feeds, is, is, is the likelihood is slim to nil. Yeah. I mean, I mean so definitely less Astronomically than 1%. low. It's very true. Uh, let's go to Joe Fisher, who says there's a sensitivity issue in regards to fatal incidents and the family's right to be notified prior to information being released to the public. It's the same argument as the last gentleman was making. He says it's also a legal issue because an investigation has to be conf- completed regarding a fatal or criminal incident. If the cameras are kept on the incident, anyone operating them and watching can be called to testify on the case. Attorneys can throw out evidence or cases in some situations if the video feed is recorded or broadcast. It is still a gray area in the courts as the area of video video monitoring of public domain expands and laws are being adapted and written. Really? I've been doing doing this TV thing here at Channel 7 for 10 and a half years, okay? I have shown literally maybe a million different camera views and all kinds of different accidents and scenes, whether it was from the helicopter or whatever it is. I have never been called into court ever to testify about any camera feed nor have I ever heard about this. So I'm not sure about this whole lawyer comment thing. I could see an argument where maybe footage might be required in a court 
uh, proceeding uh, that police might want to do uh, some more investigating. They have requested at times, I, I, I could tell you maybe two or three times in, uh, in my recollection, where they've requested some footage from the helicopter of after the scene has already happened of, let's say, there's some skid marks on the roadway, and they want to get an aerial view of it. And they've asked for pictures or some of the video there. And that was for the police investigation. But for, for them, to, for the claims that the broadcasts on the news is what is, is going to go end up in court, and that's why we shouldn't be able to see the cameras, that's ridiculous. I mean, let's, let's take this to its logical end before we move on to the next comment. OJ got chased. Everybody watched the OJ chase. Didn't affect the prosecution in that case, did it? No. That I, wasn't the problem with the OJ case. Nope. That, ridiculous. Uh, Mark Dornfeld says, We actually have a person in Oregon that turns the cam from incidents, regardless of severity, just to spite the media. Guess it gives them more power somehow. Yeah, that goes back, to, <laughs> goes back to your point. Yeah. And We're, I think you're right. It, I think it does. We, we've, we talked about that a little bit. Susan Carr says they do the same thing in Atlanta. It makes sense if you imagine it's one of your family members, this argument again, and everyone's watching the video. She just needs the facts anyway to keep cars away from the crash. Well, I, know, I need the facts too, but I need to keep seeing the facts so I can keep updating the people because it does it. it's just not a stagnant situation when you see the last camera image, then it continues to progress. So have more lanes been blocked? Have more lanes opened? How, what's the progress? Or tow trucks showed up. When is it going to clear? Estimate all that stuff. So there is a lot more information that you can gather and disseminate without even showing the camera footage. Right. And then the last one I have here, Stephen Gray, says he has personally shot and recorded thousands of accidents, some in close range, hundreds of dead people. He says he's never been called into a courtroom. Broadcasters have every right to show any and all accidents. We never show on-air dead people unless they're covered, and usually from a wide angle from above. Yeah, and just like Stephen says, you know, we don't show footage of dead people either, but we have recorded it. And it's up to each individual broadcaster to decide what they show and what they don't. It's different even with the stations here in Denver, what they show and what they don't. Yep. I, you know, I don't agree with a state agency limiting the access to cameras the public pays for basically from start to finish. Their salaries, the equipment, the electricity, everything is paid for by the public. They pay for all of that. They pay for the staff to manage the cams, for the people to put them up, all of it. The video belongs to the public, plain and simple, and they have every right to see it, no matter what is happening. Now, maybe, Joseph, I'm way off base with the general consensus here, as it seems with some of the other traffic reporters, but that, I guess that's just how I feel. And this is the Driving You Crazy podcast with Jason Luber, so right here, you're right. Well, there you go. It's, <laughs> it's time for a short promotional break uh, so I can rest my voice for a moment. Since it is almost Christmas... I decided to play a couple of Christmas songs sung by our very own morning reporter and weekend anchor, Eric Lufer. He, he thinks himself of as a great singer, and he's also made a couple of videos, too. Uh, his wife, Tiffany, accompanied him on these songs as well. They sound All right, they do sound pretty good, but you know what? You can judge for yourself on this one. So here's what Eric says is the best of the bunch of the, uh, the songs that he sent us. Have a Merry Little Christmas. We'll be back in just a moment. From now on, our troubles will be out of sight. Have yourself a merry
More of the Driving You Crazy podcast in a moment. The most fun that I have is probably when we get to cover weather because one, it changes all the time. And so it's something new literally every time we come on television. And then when we're telling people about the roads or about what's falling and we're really showing off kind of this is what the conditions are for you to know where we are, sometimes you can't help but throw a snowball or make a snowman or do something. And the photographers don't like it when we throw snow at their cameras, but we really do. And that's that's probably one of the most fun parts. Jason Grenauer, only on Denver 7. You know, if they're, if they're a breaking news junkie and they like to see um, reality and watch a family on TV and not something boring that's going to put you to sleep, I would say tune in to Channel 7. I mean, we're the first ones on breaking news. Uh, we have a very accurate weather forecast. We have very good traffic information from you. Uh, we have good anchors that work well together. And by watching it and, and getting to know everybody on air, it, you feel like you're part of the family. Daryl Orr, only on Denver 7. Baby, it's cold outside I got to go away Baby, it's cold outside This evening has been Been hoping that you drop so in So very nice I'll hold your hand there just like I'm We are back here on the Driving You Crazy podcast. You know this song? This song, it kind of creeps me out. It's like this guy is forcing this woman to stay over when she really wants to get out of there. It's just, it's just really creepy. It's one of the creepiest Christmas songs there is. Just listen, he's, he's actually trying to convince this woman in any way he can to stay by telling her, oh, it's like a nuclear winter outside. There's polar bears out there waiting to tear you apart. And here, here, just have another roofie colada. So guess what? Now you're just too smashed to go outside and make a rational decision. So you're just going to have to park it right here on my lap, babe. And, and she's just being polite, saying, no, no, no. No, I just can't go. Maybe this isn't a good idea. Maybe I should just retire for the night. Well, what she should really do is toughen up and kick him straight in the family jewels and be on her way before it gets ugly. It's Eric Lufer and his wife that we're talking about. Well, I, I love Eric. I love his wife. But it's just the lyrics of the song. that Completely. I can't listen to that song without thinking of the Family Guy interpretation of it, where they, I believe, have Bill Cosby playing the role of the gentleman. Well, there Speaking of roofie coladas, there you go. Uh, did you know that Iowa is the best state for drivers? Did not know did that. Did not know that. Well, according that's according to a new bankrate.com report. Why bankrate.com would get into driving reports, I don't know. They say California is the worst. The study evaluated 50 states based on several factors that impact drivers, including the commute time, annual insurance premiums, gas prices, cost of uh, car repairs, auto thefts, and fatalities. Now, Iowa received first place because it's low insurance premium, short commute times, and less expensive auto repair costs. I mean, there's no, I mean, you got Des Moines, so. Right, that's probably the only only traffic in the state of Iowa. Ohio, Maine, Wisconsin, and Vermont complete the top five states for drivers. California, they say, received the lowest score of all 50 states because their average auto repair and their car thefts are really high, and that paired with a lengthy commute time, obviously, around L.A. and San Francisco, San Diego, uh, they earned the last place spot there in California. After that is New Mexico, Nevada, Louisiana, and Wyoming. 
Oh, Wyoming. And I think Wyoming, probably because of accident rates and that sort of thing. There's actually a lot of DUIs that happen in Wyoming. Okay. And that makes I sense. think that's the reason. But for, for the other states to be so good, I, I don't know. Maybe the people are just too distracted by the lovely scenery in Vermont. Well, I mean... It's easy to, to do. actually have a bad drive. The great state of Vermont. Colorado ranked 33rd, by the way. The report also says Colorado scored well for low gas costs. Expensive auto repairs and high incidence of car theft helped to lower our overall standing. Okay. okay. Uh, not all of these stories are going to be winners, Joseph. <laughs> you remember a few episodes back, we talked about the plan in South Florida to make traffic so bad, the people were going to beg to get on public transportation, right? Well, and you could always go back and click on that one as well. I was listening to WABC Radio, and I heard the legendary Bo Deedle. He made a reference to something very similar when he was on the Imus in the Morning program. Now, instead of being at the WABC studio like he's supposed to be, he was actually calling into the radio show from his car. He said it was the new traffic patterns in Manhattan, and that they're so terrible that it takes you an hour to go three or four blocks. He blamed the new bike lanes and the new turn lanes and new mini parks with trees in the middle of the street for all the congestion. Bo says he can't go from river to river in less than an hour and 15 minutes. Sounds familiar to Denver, right? Yep. Yep. Absolutely. With some of the the traffic complaints we're seeing downtown with the bike lanes and what they're doing to downtown. Mm -hmm. Well, then there's this story from the New York Post titled, Time for Some Traffic Problems in Manhattan. The Post story says New York City officials have intentionally ground midtown traffic to a halt with the hidden purpose of making drivers so miserable that they leave their cars at home and turn to mass transit or bikes. This coming from a high-level source in City Hall who spoke to a reporter at the New York Post. This would be a horrible time in New York City with sub-freezing temperatures for them to uh, be riding bikes. The source says the gridlock is a result of an effort by the earlier former Michael Bloomberg mayor and the current mayor, Bill de Blasio, over more than a decade of redesigning streets to create traffic congestion, slow down traffic to favor bikers and pedestrians. Now, these are the highlights that they say are part of the changes. They have these pedestrian plazas that have cut off entire lanes of traffic and created bottlenecks. They have protected bike lanes. Sound familiar, Denver? On major avenues that eat up traffic lanes and force trucks to double park. Sound familiar, Denver? Yep. Something, uh, the same thing that Mayor Hancock is trying here. Cross streets where turns are forbidden on nearly all avenues. Intersections where drivers must wait for green arrows to turn onto avenues. They've actually done that in a couple of intersections uh, where they'll have prohibitive right turns or left turns just because they're trying to hold the traffic. Reduced speed limits in the downtown Manhattan area and ordering traffic agents to focus more on writing tickets and less focus on directing traffic. I mean, it sounds like they're trying to make it a big pain in the butt. Right? At the end of the day. Exactly. Now, this source told the Post that the goal of the jam traffic is to shift as many drivers as possible to public transportation or onto bicycles with the added benefit of safer streets. However, I was reading a report where the streets aren't really safer, especially for pedestrians, because they have more pedestrians being hit by cars because more pedestrians are walking around New York. Pedestrians who are already 
sometimes irrationally confident in their ability to beat a car across the street. Now there is more of them and there are more rules shifted in their favor. It stands to reason that they will become even bolder in crossing the street without a crosswalk. Now, there's a guy who used to be the New York City Traffic Commissioner years and years and years ago, a job I think I, I, I should be done in Denver, mm-hmm. and maybe I could be doing that. Uh, anyway, who says that the city should put tolls on every bridge and street that crosses into Midtown and into Manhattan and funnel all that revenue into improving mass transit and neighborhood streets? The story says that experts and advocates say a plan like that would be the best solution for traffic-choked cities. It would lighten the load on the city streets, allow New Yorkers to breathe cleaner air, and help pay for cleaner transportation options. That's what the story says. Now, New York City would serve as a proving ground for other U.S. cities. Hello, Denver. Mm -hmm. Keep bringing it back here. Now, to me, this is much like the fee that they have to drive in downtown London. If you drive into downtown London, you actually have to pay to do it, and that's to encourage people not to drive into downtown London and keep the uh, traffic down. Well, Eric Goldstein... He's New York City's Environment Director of the National Resources Defense Council. Must be a pretty lengthy business card. He (laughs) says it's going to generate needed funds to rebuild and restore the public transportation system in an era when the money certainly won't be coming in from the federal government. Now, what Eric fails to comprehend here is what I've said for a long time. What you tax, you get less of. So while he has a huge dollar sign in his eyes, when fewer drivers are going into Manhattan because of this tax... Arguably is what he says. He wants fewer drivers to be coming into Manhattan and driving and getting on the public transportation, right? Mm -hmm. They won't be collecting the revenue they expect because the fewer people will be driving and more will be commuting. And most of the people who drive into Manhattan from other boroughs are going to be the blue-collar or lower-wage workers that have to do it. And so he's actually going to be taxing the people who he says could least afford it. He says the straightforward way to unsnarl traffic would be to begin a congestion pricing program charging drivers for using the busiest streets at the busiest time of day. Well, cities have that adopted this congestion pricing, such as Stockholm or London, now see fewer cars on the road, more transit and bike use, and a bigger budget for public transport. Which sounds great, admittedly. Like, that sounds like a good thing. It sounds like a good thing, but it... To me, it's it's not the greatest thing in the world. Now, former Mayor Bloomberg tried a tried to institute a driving fee in 2008, but it failed. So they're trying again, and this is the way they're trying it. Supporters estimate that their plan would generate enough revenue that the city could sell 30-year bonds for $12 billion worth of infrastructure investment. But again, that's figuring on everybody who's driving in Manhattan right now when it's free to drive in Manhattan paying that fee. Not the lower number of drivers paying it because many are going to change their habits because of the fee. Mm -hmm. So they're not going to make as much money as they think they're going to make. They do admit that many of the vehicles on Manhattan streets are taxis and delivery trucks. And the trucks aren't going to stop delivering goods. The taxis and the Ubers and the Lyfts aren't going to stop taking people around town because of this new toll. They're the ones that are going to get hit with it. And then so every time you go to one of those stores or a restaurant, you're going to be picking up that fee because it's going to be more expensive for them to deliver those goods or, or take people around town. Right. If they are trying to get people off the roads, they have to set the fee high enough to try to encourage people off the roads. But that encourages more people off the roads, so the fee is so high that they're not going to collect as much money as they, they would want to to get the public transport going. Frankly, it sounds like a mass transit advocate is trying to raise money for mass transit at the expense of cars. Yes. 
That's exactly what it is. I mean, the guy sounds familiar, Denver. Well, and this is what's frustrating is you have this guy, Eric Goldstein, who says that it's going to generate needed funds to rebuild and restore the public transportation system. Well, hold up. I thought it was going to lighten the load on the city streets, allow New Yorkers to breathe cleaner air, and help pay for cleaner transportation options. Which one is it? I mean, what's the priority here? Are we trying to make money and do a money grab, or are we trying to make everybody be on mass transit? It's got to be one or the other. Well, for them, it's everything. They want everything. They right. want everybody to, to not drive and to take the public transportation. And, right? well, and if only they could move everybody within a mile of a public transportation. Exactly. Station. There's not everybody lives that way. Not everybody wants to live that way. Exactly. This is America, right? I, in fact, in America, I would argue that most people don't want to live that way and would rather just have 10-lane highways through Manhattan. And that's exactly. People out here in the West, like to, I like to drive. I like to drive, too. I find it very enjoyable. Well, polling shows that putting tolls on bridges is very unpopular. Really? Lawmakers are trying to get support for this, try to pass it in the next next uh, New York legislative session. So I guess we'll have to see where it goes. But it, it's a, I, I'm hoping that it, this, this plan does not come to Denver because they're already starting to screw things up with these bike lanes. Yes. And I, I will leave it at that because this is not a <laughs> politics podcast. No, no, it's 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 not. Even though we we get right up there on the edge, we sniff it. <laughs> yep, we sniff it, but we try to we try not to. All right. Uh, well, you know, we are a little bit uh, over a week away from Christmas, right? So because of time off work and around the holidays, we'll take a few weeks off. I think from the podcast, start back up at the beginning of the year, two thousand seventeen. We appreciate all the people listening to the podcast. Obviously, personally, I want to think. I, I really think we're doing some great stuff here. We've made some great improvements from the first one to this one, the eighth one. Joseph, yes, we, we just see, we need some traffic loving advertisers who want to sponsor the show, and then we can do this full time and not have to work such horrible hours and be sleepy all the time, right? Uh, I'm just saying, Sinclair, if you're listening, Sinclair, the gasoline company. Oh. We- <laughs> <laughs> We would love a sponsorship. I will happily wear the green dinosaur t-shirt. Whatever it takes. Ooh. You know what? What if we had a dinosaur-shaped hat? They they do have dinosaur-shaped do hat. They sell them around Christmas. Yeah, what about a dinosaur-shaped onesie with the tail that sticks out? You got to find those at Babies R Us, man. All right. Well, I guess that just cover, <laughs> covers it for this pre-holiday edition of the Driving You Crazy podcast. Thanks again. For everybody listening and being a part of the podcast, we do appreciate it very much. Uh, Stay tuned for our next episode in a couple of weeks. And until then, I'm the traffic guy, Jason Luber. I'm the overnight producer, Joseph Peters. Be safe. And as always, happy motoring. Thanks for listening to the Driving You Crazy podcast. 